good morning, everyone. My name is Jesse, and it is my privilege to be with you this morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, we are still celebrating Thanksgiving. It is awesome. We have a lot to be thankful for, and I hope that you took some time with your family to be thankful uh, to the Lord for all the blessings and all the things that he has given us. Here at Grace, we're so thankful. The stage, as you can see, is, is uh, complete. And so in the next couple days, we'll be putting the final touches um, to continue to serve the Lord, to preach his word, to worship him in spirit and truth. It's going to be amazing. Um, and this is extra. Uh, thinking of Thanksgiving, like I know a number of us probably stole a piece of pie before the meal. Uh, this is just extra, right? This is not necessarily scripted, but uh, we have a lot to be thankful for in America, for a church where we can come uh, without fear of being persecuted or uh, arrested. We can have God's word uh, in our own language and have multiple translations. So we have a lot to be thankful for, and I hope that you uh, have taken some time, if not, take some time now and today, just to be thankful. Uh, Yes, there's a lot that we need to work on, and we'll address that today in our passage, um, but we have a lot to be thankful for, and so let's continue in that spirit of thankfulness. Um, Today, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Um, so if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to to open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, We've been in a series last while. I can't, off the top of my head, I can't remember how many weeks, but it's been a number of fantastic weeks as we've been walking through 1 Corinthians 12 and now into 13, looking at spiritual gifts and looking how we can continue to build up the church to proclaim the gospel and to live in unity with one another. And so today we're going to talk about love and that foundational piece of using our gifts to edify one another and to glorify God. And so as you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 4. And I know some of us maybe aren't familiar with the previous verses, um, but it'll be helpful uh, as we start to read verses 4 through 8. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is revealed to us and then it's been um, preserved by your providence, by your love, by your grace and favor that we here in Auburn, Washington in 2023 can have the Bible, your word, readily available to us. And so we ask that we humbly come to you and that you would continue to speak through your word. We need your help. As we read this passage, as we talk about it, would the Holy Spirit reveal um, just anything that's not of you and that our hearts would be a place for your word to find its home to continue to live this truth out. And Father, we ask that we wouldn't just agree with your word, but that we um, we would believe it and then live it out. And so would you help us do that this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, last week, Pastor Jesse started chapter 13 here, and many of us have this passage perhaps memorized. Maybe some of us have had it read at our wedding, or if nothing else, have heard it read at a wedding a number of times. And I want to um, bust a, a little bubble that this, is not, uh, this passage is not about marriage specifically. It can relate to marriage. It should help mark a biblical Christian marriage, but is not strictly for marriage. 
And I want us to think through the context of where we find this chapter in the canon of Scripture and within 1 Corinthians. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And as you read through a number of the different chapters leading up to this, the church was not perfect. The church was filled with a lot of division. There was a lot of disunity. There was a lot of jealousy and pride and selfishness. And surprise, surprise, 2,000 years later, the church unfortunately is struggling with that today. And if we're honest, Grace Community Church, we probably at times act selfishly and prideful. We might be envious. And there might be some things that that we need to dive into this passage more appropriately and succinctly. And so I want us to do that this morning. We are going to kind of take one by one each of the different um, verbs, and they are verbs that Paul gives us about what love does. They're not, in some of our translations, it may look like adjectives, but they're actually verbs in the original language of Greek. And as some of us may know, that these words for love that Paul uses uh, is agape love. Greek has different, um, different words for love. Today we have one word. We love our dog and we love the Seahawks. We love our mom and we love pizza, right? And it's like love is thrown around willy-nilly. Um, but this love here is agape, unconditional, God's love, biblical love here. And so we'll walk through it, but I want us to remember that. And so what I've kind of titled our first point this morning is the qualities and activities of biblical love, of biblical love. And so Paul lays out 15 verbs here in our passage this morning. And so if it's helpful for you to think of a diamond with 15 different sides to it, we see a different angle and appreciation of the different facets or faces of biblical love. And so Pastor Jesse did a great job of explaining and giving us a definition of love last week that's the biblical one. And so if you have the opportunity, I please encourage you to go back and watch that on YouTube. And, uh, but in its essence, love is at the core of the church. And it should be at the core of the church. And biblical love is not what our culture defines it, it's what the Bible defines it. And that is important. And we'll see that as we walk through. And I know my time is fleeting, so, and we have a lot to cover, um, so let's dive into the first one. Love does, what does love do? Well, let's take a, take a look. The first one we see here is love is patient. Love is patient. There is patience, and this word is expressive of control. And so if you think about it, it's easy to fly off the handlebars when things aren't going your way, right? If we're stuck in traffic, it's easy to be impatient, Within the local church, it can be impatient sometimes when the pastor goes too long, right? And so you guys can help me by showing love to me. It can be impatient if someone grabs that last donut from the Grace Cafe, right? And we can be a little upset, right? Things take too long, we get upset. Paul is not addressing circumstances, however, that would be a good application to practice some patience this, this month. But Paul, in context, is talking about people, He's talking about the local church here in Corinth. There was a lot of impatience that was going on, and so Paul addresses it. And so this idea of patience, some translations may have long-suffering. And so the idea is it takes a long time for patience to run out or for your fuse to come to the end and blow up. Does that make sense? And so what we want to... Paul is trying to address here is that love doesn't burst out at the first point of frustration over a person or a ministry or something that's taking place in the local church. There's a passion of the Holy Spirit working and flowing through us that we are patient. 
And I thought this was helpful for some of us because sometimes we think of someone who's patient as weakness. Oftentimes, the patient person, patient person, oh man, and we only got the first one here. I'm getting already tongue-tied. The patient person. All right, well, let's just, we'll just read it again and then we'll just, yeah, call it a day. The business person, let's try it a different way. Let's try to mix up the words here. The, the business person, right, that's patient, doesn't always get ahead. The patient, patient person. We got it, we got it. Is someone who has been wronged, right? This, I got this from an early church father. Uh, who, a person who's been wronged, he has it easily in his power to avenge himself, but will never do it. That's a patient person. And so if you think about it, Jesus Christ shows us the epitome of patience. And so if you have your Bibles or if you want to write it down, it's going to show up on your screen, but I would encourage you to to either meditate on these passages uh, or definitely um, read through them. And I would challenge you to memorize them. First Peter chapter two, verses 21 through 24, and they're gonna show up on the screen. For to this, you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. But when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. And so when we think about being patient, biblical love is patient. Christ was so patient when he was reviled, when he was threatened, when he was ultimately taken to the cross and brutally killed for us. And he did it, not showing that he didn't have the power. Again, he says that he could have easily called several legions of angels to defend him, but he chose not to. He had the power to do it. And then I can't help but think of the, the, the patience the Father, God the Father, has for us. Peter also writes in his second letter, he writes in in chapter three, verse nine, that the Lord is patient. He's patient with us. He's not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is the type of patience that should be exemplified in our church. And where does it start? It starts with us individuals, as brothers and sisters who follow Jesus Christ. This is the kind of patience patience that we should have. We could camp here longer, but we have 14 more. So let's go. Love is kind. And this is very similar. So we don't need to belabor it too long, but this is not weakness. When you show kindness to one another, you think of uh, our schools right now and students having a great opportunity to show kindness to their teachers, kindness to one another. And this is one of the attributes that doesn't get old with time. You think of athletic ability, even beauty, even smartness, right? Some of those things, most of those things fade with time. But kindness never goes out of style. Kindness never gets old. Kindness is what love does. And so as Christians, that should be what exemplifies us. For the Corinthians, kindness meant giving up their selfish, jealous, spiteful, and proud attitudes and adopting the spirit of loving kindness. 
So at Grace, I find this very challenging for us today. We face a lot of similar things that the church in Corinth faces. A lot of culture is pulling us away from biblical truth. And so we have an opportunity to stand on God's promises, but do it with kindness. And now as we continue, uh, we have a list of negative uh, negatives, but this is Paul saying something positive in a negative, negative way, right? And so love does not envy. The real test here is to check our reaction at news that we receive. If a friend gets an A and we got a B, how are we reacting to that news, right? Some of us are like jealous or envious that they got a better grade than me. And if you're an adult and a job, you get passed over for promotion, but your friend gets the promotion or your neighbor comes into some inheritance. When you receive that news, what's your attitude? That's the test here. Love does not become envious, is not envious when God blesses or gives someone else a gift that we don't have. Remember, come back to the context of where this passage fits in. It's on spiritual gifts within the church. And so we should not be envious that someone else has a different spiritual gift than we have. We should be praising God that we get to be in God's family. That God would even welcome us into his family and celebrate and worship that. And so the, the Corinthians were similar to us and they were marked with fervent um, There was not a lot of of kindness. It was a lot of jealousy, jockeying for position, one-upmanship. And what I find today, too, is sometimes the jealousy, we think of that in terms of like what I gave that example of of a school report. But I think sometimes there's even a jealousy that can penetrate the church in a negative way of if we don't get something it's so we, we we don't even want it so for example first kings chapter three there's there's that story where there's two women that have two babies and one of them dies in the middle of the night and the next morning the one why or one one mom grabs the other baby from the other lady and then there's a big argument and a big you know fight and so they go to king solomon wisest king right and they they want him to settle this dispute and he's like, well, one says that it's their baby, another says it's theirs. Uh, okay, well, let's just cut it in half, and each can have half a baby. And what does the one mom say? Yeah, go ahead, cut it in half. And he knew instantly who the real mother is. And that's what kind of envy or jealousy. Well, if, if, if I can't have it, then you shouldn't have it either. And that's the worst kind of jealousy. And that can penetrate our own hearts and penetrate our church. And when that happens, it is a really bad spiral out of control. And so as we continue, love does not boast. The loving person who is successful, who has a spiritual gift that maybe gets a little bit more airtime or is more prominent, it's, not, it's, it's more in front, it's not behind the scenes, that's the one that we think of as is, is the best, right? And those people can be tempted to start boasting about their gift. Look how awesome I am. Look at how, what I can do, right? And that was taking place in the, Corinth church, the church in Corinth. And you can read through that in, verse, uh, in chapter 12, chapter 14. There's just so much that's going on. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Come back to what is love? How does the church love and use their gifts effectively? And it's not boasting. It's not one upsmanship. And I find that today too. We don't have to look very far in our culture, even in our social media. And if we're honest, we could even look at our own lives sometimes. What are we posting? What are we commenting on? What are we saying? Are, are we disinterested in conversations when we're not the center of attention? When we don't get our thing, are we upset? That's a form of boasting. It's all about us. 
And so even with the pictures, it's nothing wrong with, with celebrating your, your awesome family, you know, how many lights you have on your house, like, go for it. But what's the attitude? What's the heart? Is it in love? Or is it saying, like, look at me, look how awesome I am. Love should display what Jesus did. Paul, in his letter to the church in Philippi, in chapter 2, talks about how we should have that same mind, the same attitude of Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This powerful passage details what Jesus Christ did. Could have boasted, could have said it, said exactly who he is, and he did several times, but he did not boast. He humbled himself. That's the type of love that Paul is talking about here. All right, fifthly, and and we'll, we'll have to be brief on a few of these, love is not arrogant. Man, this is really challenging today. This goes in in time with with boasting, but every place that you turn, it's like, be the person, be the the best, be this, uh, just show your stuff, strut your stuff, you know, just be all that in a bag of chips, right? And what Paul is saying here is that's exactly not what love does. Love doesn't point at me and say, look how awesome I am. It looks at Jesus and says, look how awesome he is. Look how awesome that the Holy Spirit is working and allowing me to be his vessel to be useful. Um, I, just a real quick um, story or illustration here. William Carey was the father of modern missions. As we think about uh, missionaries all over the world and many that support, um, that we support here at Grace, God's using them and doing tremendous things. So William Carey was the father of modern mi- missions and he goes to India and he is able to be used by God given gifts to uh, translate um, the Bible into a number of different dialects. 34, in fact, 34 Indian dialects that he's able to translate the Bible into. God used him in tremendous ways. And so he was back in England, and um, he, he was back at his old job, and he was a shoemaker. Well, actually, a shoe mender. So this is before you could just go down to Nike or wherever and get the latest kicks. You would go to a, a place, and they would repair your shoes and fix them. And so there was a, a dinner, and there was a, a person there that wanted to be, a, a, I don't know what, yeah, a, a guy. And he, he asked William Carey, so you were a shoemaker, right? Trying to humble him in light of all that God has done. And he says, actually, I was a shoemender. I never made it to being a shoemaker. This man tried to humiliate William Carey, and he went a step lower. He humbled himself when he could have easily elevated himself. And so in a world, for us, here's the challenge, in a world full of big heads, wise fools, spouting, saying, look at all this, being arrogant, all these things, it's an opportunity for us to not join that race. It's an opportunity as Christians, as believers, as Grace Community Church, to not join that race. Arrogance has a big head, but love has a big heart. Love is concerned to give itself not assert itself. And so we come to love is not rude. 
It doesn't behave itself indecently or shameful, right? And we could think of a number of ways that this is, is applicable. It's, it's kind to one another. Again, we come back to kindness. But rudeness, right? We think of someone who's uh, at the grocery store and just kind of just very rude and just cuts in line. We think of at, the, at a restaurant, right? And just kind of very rude to the waitress. And as believers, we have an opportunity to, to show that both within the church and outside the church. And so it's not legalism, but it's a respect and a courtesy to others. And so we want to make sure that as we, we go about our business, that we have that spirit of Christ going before him, being respectful and being courtesy. Love does not insist on its own way. This translation uh, in the ESV, but you may have the NIV, which says it's not self-seeking. It does not pursue selfish advantage. And you see how all of these kind of build on each other and kind of relate back. And so if you have a Bible, you can make some notes and, and draw some connections there. And so uh, just really quick, some, some practical things. Uh, I read this um, on a tombstone, um, and it says, Here lies a miser who lived for himself, cared for nothing but gathering wealth. Now where is he and how he fares? Nobody knows and nobody cares. So the man or woman who lives for themselves, lives for money, lives for all those toys, cares nothing for anyone else, right? Builds a lot of wealth, a lot of things here on this earth, but not very loving to others, not, no legacy, no one that cares, no family that's close to them. What a sad reality. And so as believers, we have an opportunity to not be self-seeking, but to seek others, to seek to love them as Christ loves. And so in contrast, there was another tombstone. Tombstones are kind of fun. I'd encourage you to walk through a cemetery from time to time. It sounds morbid, but at the same time, it reminds us that life is fleeting. And at some point, we're all gonna be in a cemetery or somewhere like that, right? We're not gonna live here forever. And it reminds us of a relationship with Jesus Christ how amazing the resurrection hope is and that he is going to call us home and we're gonna be with him forever. But here's another one from London. Um, I guess that we gotta make a field trip, but on it, it said, sacred to the memory of General Charles George Gordon, who at all times and everywhere gave his strength to the weak, his substance to the poor, his sympathy to the suffering and his heart to God. So as we think about how not to be self-seeking, I go back to second, uh, chapter two of Philippians and Paul says, having this mind of Christ, right? Eat, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but the interests of others. And, and a little bit later in that chapter, where he talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus and Timothy says, I have no one like Timothy because he takes a genuine interest in others. Wow. That's the type of love so hard to practice. Easy to say, so challenging to not be self-seeking. All right, we move on. And this one's a little personal for me. Love is not irritable. It's not easily angered. Now, the idea here is of a violent temperament of someone just getting very angry in a moment's notice. And some of us, we're not pointing fingers. We're not saying any names because we just had Thanksgiving. And so we, I know that uh, sometimes we're all not walking in step with the Holy Spirit in those times where uh, it's, it's trying. But here's, here's, the, here's the, the challenge and the hope of the Holy Spirit. When the, God's love invades our heart, it removes that. And we have a tendency, right, to blame that other person. Oh man, if you only knew my mother-in-law, if you only knew that my brother that comes into my room all the time and steals my stuff, right? 
Yes, all those things, yeah, there, there might be some opportunity to, to help them. But again, we come back to our own heart. If we're always pointing the finger and saying, oh, they need to work on it. Oh, God needs to work on them. And we never look in the mirror at this list here, we're gonna fall short and we're always gonna blame someone. We're always gonna be able to blame someone else. And so in, instead of loving someone, despite all of our, their, their faults and imperfections, we focus on them. And so I would encourage us, I would challenge us to look at these words. What an opportunity in our cultural moment to practice love, to practice not getting angry, not being irritable. And maybe there's some things that we can ask for help. Maybe our life group can help. Maybe we can have an accountability partner. Maybe there's things that can help us. When those people get to us, maybe we can take a deep breath. We can pray. Wow, what a novel idea, right? We can ask the Lord for his strength to continue to help us. Because I understand there's some of us have bosses, some of us have coworkers, some of us have siblings, some of us have family members that really get to us. But how can we continue to practice this biblical love and to help them? I think of Jesus himself. We read that passage in, in 1 Peter of when he was reviled, when he was getting mocked, when he was getting persecuted, thrown on that cross, he could have easily fired back, easily said, called out all their sins because he easily got off, himself off that cross and he chooses not to. He dies for us and rises again. And so when we think about that kind of love, Christ embodied it. And so he can be our strength, can help us be our example. All right, let's continue. Love is not resentful. Um, this translation that I have, not resentful, is helpful. Um, I think some of us have the NIV, which says, keeps no record of wrongs. Um, and some of us, does anybody have the King James Version? I'm just curious. Does anybody, no, no embarrassment, anybody? Oh, man. Okay, I grew up on that one. And so I went back to look, and it says, Think, thinketh no evil. Love thinketh no evil. And... Um, I thought that was helpful. Love does not store up a memory of wrongs. It doesn't think back to the evils that have been done. Now, we're gonna to touch on this in a moment. It doesn't mean that there's not justice, there's not discipline that needs to take place. But what this is talking about, what Paul is getting at here, is not this accounting of all the wrongs that have done to us. So if we think about our own lives, we could think of, you know, Susie in fourth grade that, you know, uh, stole our hairbrush and never, never gave it back. We can think of, you know, Billy who bullied us. We can think of, you know, our mother-in-law that, I don't know, complained about our mashed potatoes. I don't know. We could go on and on and on, right? And we think of this whole list and we were play that, that tape over and over in our mind, thinking back to all the wrongs and evil done to me rather than forgiving or just moving on and not thinking about those things. I think of uh, Scrooge um, from Charles Dickens, um, and, uh, and he writes down all the money that everybody owes him, and he just meditates on that. And what he meditates on, right, is pretty soon how his attitude and how he operates. And so you think about what biblical love is, what the church should be, not counting, not remembering, uh, and keeping a record of all the wrongs done to us doesn't mean that we, for, we just forgive, you know, uh, abusers or anything like that, but it does mean that we have been forgiven and so that we, we continue to show that forgiveness to others. Uh, Paul writes in, in middle school and high school, we've been walking through the book of Romans. And so chapter four, um, verses seven and eight, blessed are those who lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sins. 
when we think about the way that God has forgiven us, how he doesn't count our sin against us. In fact, Jesus Christ imputes his righteousness to us, that we are declared not guilty before God and given Christ's righteousness. Wow. We have no, uh, there should be no opportunity for us to remember and keep a list of all the people that have wronged us. And so we continue. We should, we could camp. I could, yeah, we could camp on there for a long time. We could look at other passages in Romans, but we're going to continue. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Now this one, um, yeah, this one hits home, right? It does not delight in evil, as the NIV says. Love takes no satisfaction from sin, right? In our culture right now, we live in, um, as some would say, the most sinful and perversive uh, generation there is. But the Corinthians, if you read a couple chapters earlier, there was a lot going on in the church in Corinth itself and the culture as well. And so I think uh, in a lot of ways, we have a lot to relate with the church in Corinth but it does not rejoice. Love, biblical love does not rejoice. It can't rejoice at the wrongs or the evil, the sin. And there's a warning that the Bible talks about for those that worship, that glorify, that that allow sin to take place and say it's good. Isaiah 5 verse 20 says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Among some of our most popular movies, music, TV shows, right? I'm just, it's crazy. It's hard to watch things nowadays because of the, the glorification, the promotion, the allowance of so much sin. Not just the violence or the sexual contents, the language. It's, it's even like characters. There's no one that you can cheer for in some of these shows because they all have blood on their hands or they're all just, just so evil, And yet we watch these and allow them into our house. So I'm not saying, this is not saying like, hey, you can't watch anything, turn those TVs off, burn those TVs. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is how can we rejoice at the wrongdoing that some of these things promote? And so for us as believers, if we come together as a fellowship that's centered on Christ's love, how can we allow different members to come in with this kind of sin or rejoicing at some of these things and be a vibrant, everything that God would desire for his church to be? And even news sometimes is scary. And that is another reason why we gotta be daily in God's word. Reminding ourselves of truth, of his promises. Not saying we need to live in a cave or to um, sell all of our technology. But I am saying like we need to be wise. And we need to be wise on what we watch, what we, what we put our eyes before so that we can worship Jesus and be everything that he has called us to be. And it's only through the transforming power of Jesus Christ that this is possible. If you think about it, we don't have the power to do many of these things that Paul is talking about. It's in Jesus Christ and the power that he gives us. And so when Christ's love invades our heart, there's no room for us to mix, mix around with some of those things, to watch some of those stuff, to, to glorify in those conversations that are happening at school or work around the water cooler or on social media. We don't have time for that because we're so in love with Christ and being his bride, being one of his members in his church family that we have no time for that. And so this could be helpful for some of us that are prone to that or thinking, I don't even know where to start to get out of this trap. Philippians 4, verse 8 would be a great one. I, I've, I, I just thought of this. I, I'm quoting a lot from Philippians, so maybe that's a great, great book to continue to read. Uh, verse 8 says, Whatever things are true, whatever things are holy, whatever things are of good report, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
whatever's admirable. If there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Setting our minds on the things of God. And we continue. So we're not to rejoice in wrongdoing, but we're supposed to rejoice in the truth. Rejoice with the truth. Joy and truth and love are all intertwined here. And so if you think about it, love cannot rejoice when truth is denied. And so we think about the righteousness and the, the, the commands that God gives us. We, we got to rejoice with those. And when those are being violated, how can we rejoice with those? And so if you're, um, if you're dating or thinking about dating or getting in a relationship, if there is a, a man in your life, says he loves you, and then wants to do things that are contrary to God's word, you t- tell him to take a hike. Because grace and truth, truth and love do not mix together. If he says he loves you, but he's going to deny the truth, then he is not worth another look. And I know that can be challenging, but it's serious. It's serious. If he says, if there's love and there's no truth, it's not love. And uh, Second John, I know many of us probably haven't, didn't even know there was a Second John, but there is, and there's actually a Third John. And the Second John is really good, and so I'm going to read a couple verses here. Second John, starting in verse four, um, it has it has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have that we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And then he defines what this looks like. And this is the love that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. So how do we know that we are in love, that we're following God? Is that we're obedient to his commands. We're rejoicing in the truth. And so if there's any relationship, whether that's husband, wife, family, uh, in the church here, right, it's foundational on obedience to Christ, obedience to God's word. And so as we continue, I know our time is, is fleeting, but we're going to come to verse 7. So if you're with me, thank you so much. Sometimes the middle school and high school students, they've, um, they're not with me sometimes. <laughs> they've left. They've left. Uh, I know I can be long-winded. But four qualities that uh, verse 7 here list. And uh, Paul is trying to make a point. Uh, Paul is clear that biblical love rejects. In this summary, Paul, Paul says it rejects envy, it re- rejects boasting, arrogance, rudeness, selfishness, anger, resentment, and wrongdoing. And so he uses uh, hyperbole and exaggerations to make a point. And he uses all of these to say uh, more about love. And so here's our second point, and uh, if you're taking notes, and second point in this definition of what is going to come. What a church at the, with love at the core does what a church does with love at the core. And so all these things that Paul is speaking are things that are acceptable in God's righteousness and will. Here, bear means to cover or protect. Love bears all things by protecting the church, protecting one another, brothers and sisters, from ridicule, from sin, from harm, and continues to cover them. Now, this doesn't mean, and I said we'd come to it, and uh, 
it doesn't mean that we just sweep all people's sins under the rug. That's not what this passage says. That's not what the Bible teaches. And if you think about it, if we start sweeping sins and, and sins of people under the rug, pretty soon that rug is going to be so uh, annoying, but we're all going to trip over it and fall on our face. And so it can't mean that we just cover over everything and say, oh, love, yeah, just go for it, just go for it. No, it's, it's, it's protecting the brother or sister from going down the path of sin to destruction. It's causing them from spiraling out of control. If you think about it in terms of friendship, you see someone and they're making choices, decisions that don't align with God's truth. You have to risk that relationship to go to them privately and to intercede for them, to share with them the, the risk, the things that they're doing. And so if you think about it, they're, they're sitting on the tracks and the train's coming and you gotta go to them and warn them to get them off the tracks to get, come back to the truth of God's word. And that might be risky. And that's what you come back to the biblical definition here of humility, not arrogance, of coming with kindness, with patience, working with them. But that's what love does. And that's what our church, not covering up sin, but exposing the sin and protecting and bearing up the believer. Love believes all things. Now, this does not mean that we just believe everything that we hear. Unfortunately, today, there's a lot of people that bear the name of pastor or Christian that are saying a lot of things that are not in the Bible. They're heretical. And so it does not mean that, oh, they, they, they call themselves a Christian, so we just believe everything that they say. No, that's not what that means. But what it does mean, and this is where it could be helpful, it's helpful for me in studying this, it gives the benefit of the doubt. So in a church, again, this is context of the local church, that we give the benefit of the doubt. When it sounds suspicious or we have tempted to be cynical, that we believe that their motives are to honor Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean that we just uh, don't have to have an opportunity to talk to them and ask, oh, this is what I saw? Is that what's, is that, what's going on? Can you explain that? But what it does mean is that we believe that they have love at the core, love of Jesus Christ. And so love believes and takes the benefit of the doubt, thinks what's best of that person. And then it hopes all things. Love is always looking forward. It's not some vague notion of optimism or hoping for the best, but it's rather it's built on that biblical idea that Jesus Christ is our living hope and that one day, Right, Even all our failures, everything is not final. And this kind of love is represented once again in Jesus Christ. And it's represented too in our daily relationships, both within the church, that a brother and sister, maybe they fall into sin, fall into that temptation, that we go to them and we pray with them, we encourage them because we know that that's not the final answer. Not the final. Love anticipates. Love never gives up. And you think about God in the Old Testament, even throughout the New Testament and throughout today, God doesn't give up. He could have easily given up on the Israelites a number of times, but he consistently, despite all their rebellious wanderings and all their different things that they went through, continued to come back to giving them that opportunity. I know that they are gonna, there's going to be a remnant that loves me. And he gives us this truth in Second Chronicles chapter 7. Many of us have memorized this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. God's love for us is forward. 
And that's what it should be for us. Failure is never the final answer where love exists. And I, I couldn't help but think about the prodigal son, that parable that Jesus gives in Luke chapter 15. And um, the father sees his son from a ways off and runs to him. How did the father be able to know it was his son unless he was looking for him and waiting for him to come home? It's that anticipation, that hope that the son would come back. And I, 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 obviously it's a parable, it's a story, but I wonder if it would have taken 700 mornings of him waiting, if it had taken longer. It's that forward hope that love that love gives us. And so love endures all things. Now, many of us, when we see that word endure, it's like, oh, we just got to endure a little bit longer, right? If we're running a race or something like that, it's like, oh, somebody already finished, so I just got to just endure. At work, it's like, okay, it's four o'clock. I just have to endure one more hour, right? Or if parents, you know, I have a nine-month-old, so it's like, okay, bedtime's at seven. I got to endure one more hour, right? And many of us can probably relate to that in some ways, right? That's not the picture that Paul has for us. Sorry. That's not the picture that love has for us. It's like, I just got to endure one hour on Sunday morning with these people. And that's not what Paul has for us here. In fact, Paul has the, almost the opposite. What the word here means is almost like a soldier. When the battle gets the hardest, he lunges with the renewed energy. And he launches himself into the battle, not uh, foolishly, but with renewed energy and excitement to continue to serve. And so for us, I have a feeling, it's not, I don't, can't find it in this, uh, yeah. Anyway, I have a feeling, <laughs> feeling that things are only going to get more challenging for believers. And so we could sit there and say, oh, I just got to endure a little bit longer. I just have to endure just a little bit more. That's not the attitude that we should have as, as a church, as believers, but we should lunge into the battle to see how many more people can come to know the resurrection hope and love of Jesus Christ. And that's what our attitude should be. And so for us, that means that we don't just go into that mentality of just survive. We're active. We're bold about our faith, bold about our love for others. That's what Paul is getting at here. And we come to verse eight. We don't have time to launch into all of this, but I want us to see that this is a capstone for what Paul has already been saying in the previous several verses. And then I would argue in the end of chapter 12, that love never ends. And so here, Paul is summing up all of the activities of love, how it serves, how it builds up the church and how one gift is not better than the others. That's with love that we are to exercise our gifts to build up the church to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And so kind of in closing, I would just challenge us. Again, it's easy for us in some ways to put our name by some of these words, right? Maybe some of you've heard that at your wedding, like, you know, Jesse does not uh, rejoice at wrongdoing. Jesse is patient. That is a really tall order. Don't say that it's impossible. I'm not saying that we shouldn't strive for that. But again, the context is not in a marriage, though there's a lot of application for marriages, for families, but this is for the church, for each of us. And we come with our own sins, hangups, faults, personalities, uh, bad breath, I don't know. But the, the attitude should be of coming together to love one another like Christ loved the church 
with this definition, with these qualities and activities, serving one another. And so Grace Community Church, if you've been coming here for a number of years or just as your first Sunday, thank you for joining us. And Grace probably is known, I, I could throw out some things, we're probably known for many, many things. And by God's graces, the church will be here and there'll be believe, believers worshiping here and long after we're gone. And they'll be known for other things. But what if Grace Community Church was known for love? If we had 1 Corinthians 13 so vibrant within us, in our community, in our fellowship, within our homes, that people would be like, wow, Grace Community Church, that's a place that upholds biblical love, that loves one another, that has Jesus Christ at the core and his love is imprinted on each and every believer there. Wouldn't that be amazing? Thank you. We got one or two or four brothers and sisters that are with me. But that's, that's, that's what I, I would encourage us and challenge us to do. And so as, as uh, in a moment, we're gonna close. And, and so maybe there's some application that you've already written down, circled some, some words, some verbs there that are really, yeah, like that's got my name on it. The Holy Spirit's been working in my life already in this area. Um, and then I wouldn't, I would, I would encourage you, challenge you, not just to sit there and just be like, okay, good, and move on about your day watching football or eating leftover pumpkin pie, but to find someone, whether that's a brother and sister um, right next to you, a family member, or in your life group, but to take them to coffee and really drill down on one of these words and those next steps that you're gonna take. Is it scripture you need to memorize so that when you are uh, tempted to be angry with a brother or sister, family member, that you have some opportunities to, to go back and think on things that glorify God. We could continue, but our time is fleeting. And so I want us to close with this kind of thought. Christian maturity isn't, isn't defined, or isn't measured by giftedness, but by the display of love. And that's what this passage deals with. And so whether you, you're sitting there and you have the gift of, I don't know, teaching or some you know, high calling gift that we would say is, you know, the greatest or the best. It's not measured by that. It's by our display of love. And so if you have the gift of serving, do it with love. If you have the gift of administration, do it with love. Whatever gift you have, do it with love.